Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film friends. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Matt Simmons and I kick off the Thanksgiving section of Hollow Thanksmas as we do a whole lot of yelling, complaining, and contemplating about Al Pacino's Oscar-winning portrayal of Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade in Martin Brest's Scent of a Woman. All right, Scent of a Woman. We have left October behind. We are now in November. Hope everyone enjoyed their wonderful Halloween season. We are now in the Thanksgiving phase of Hollow Thanksmas. And to kick it off, Matt Simmons is back with us uh, talking about Scent of a Woman, a movie that came out in 1992. That, And why are, why are we doing this? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because while we were in quarantine, a lot of times Matt and I would meet over Zoom late at night and we would do certain lists or just talk about movies as we often do. And one time, Son of a Woman was brought up. And I don't remember what the context was, but you said something that was very interesting. You said, wow, talk about a terrible movie that you don't understand why Al Pacino won an Oscar for. I want to know how you feel about it now. Because I was like, personally, I was like, oh, wow, that was that's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't remember loving it, but that's interesting. Such a hot take. Yeah, I mean, after rewatching it, I don't hate it as much as I did the first time. Um, I still really, really don't like the movie. Um I guess more so because he won is maybe what adds to my annoyance with it. Like if, if he, if this movie was nominated for zero Oscars and just came and went, I probably wouldn't think much of it. But the fact that he won that year, uh, you know, it just, it, it rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. You know how I am. I always have to place too much stock in the Oscars, but uh, yeah. So I still feel that way that I, I don't really like the movie that much. And I really don't like the performance that much. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because this is, this is not a best of the worst episode. This is just a general review that we're going to do. And it's a, I saw the movie first when I was in, uh, I think a so- I was a sophomore in high school and it was just kind of on a whim that I decided, and I had heard so much about it. You know, everyone had done the hoo you know, yeah. all the time. And yeah. that was a, you know, that's such a, Become, became iconic in its own right. Um, and I remember enjoying it for the most part. And I, I thought it was, you know, the the hamminess of it was very enjoyable to 15-year-old me. And re-watching it, I got to say, well, first of all, the first thing that struck me is just how long this movie was. It's a long movie. <laughs> I didn't remember it being two hours and 36 minutes. That's just wild. And I, when I went back, I was trying to like process, like go through the movie in my head. I was like, okay, I remember this scene. I remember this scene, but maybe there's a bunch that I'm forgetting. And it wasn't, I've remembered pretty much all of the movie. It's just stretched out for so long. It takes its time. It really does. It is definitely a movie from 1992, uh, directed by the great Martin Brest, who also uh, did uh, Midnight Run and Meet Joe Black, and ended his career with the instantly iconic Geely. Geely. I've never seen it, but it's one I, I, it has such a bad reputation that I'd love to get around to it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like this whole list of movies that are so infamously bad, you you just have extreme curiosity for, and that's one of them. Uh, but yeah, before he descended down there, yeah, he he made this one. Yeah, it's uh, and you know we said got four Oscar nominations for picture, actor, um, Al Pacino winning, uh, and best uh, screenplay and something else that I director probably did he get director? Okay, um, but this and to go off of your comment that you initially made that you don't understand why. Uh, Pacino won. I would agree in terms of quality. I don't think it's an Oscar-worthy performance in terms of quality, but the actual make of the performance. Yeah, I I should uh, redo that statement and say it's not that I don't understand. I guess it's just I don't I, I get why it's it's one of those hammy, over the top, feel good performances. It you know the the end result of the movie is this big climax courtroom esque scene where he's you know doing this whole monologue and blah yeah. blah blah. It it's one of those Oscar baity type things. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe it's my frustration with why does Oscar bait work? It looks like it doesn't anymore, which is nice. Like some of these movies that I see coming out that look really hammy and over the top, kind of get ignored. But like the eighties and nineties were just ripe for these movies that were 
honestly like garbage like out of africa is one that won best picture in the 80s and like there's so many of these movies that were just showboat oscar pieces and they worked back then for winning the awards yeah i guess just now we look back at them and they just don't age as well as the the competition that they were with for sure and i think that if you look at the you know the make of pacino's performance he's he's blind so he's playing someone with a disability (laughs) big big old check he's got kind of an accent he's put this kind of weird southern draw his his yeah uh, the vocal inflections that he does i'm just getting warmed up you yeah know? like <laughs> the way he says every line annoys me oh my lord yeah um he so he's blind he has an accent he it's a feel-good performance and it's he's trying to give life advice to a younger um chris o'donnell who we will uh get into a little <laughs> bit later um and obviously the big the big courtroom drama and he's but he also has like little like risque things about his character that seem like oh he's a fun guy but when you look at it now it's like this is very strange (laughs) yeah it definitely hasn't aged well in terms of some of the things his character you know does Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about al pacino really quick his career is very fascinating to me obviously one of you know most well-renowned actors in history uh giving you know some of the best performances that you could um, that you could see starting like right out of the gate, his fourth movie is The Godfather. Like that's like, that's just crazy, right? Yeah, that he just gets to luck into that. That's yeah. So he comes out in the seventies. He does um, Panic in Needle Park, Godfather, Serpico, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and Justice for All, and Cruising. That's kind of the classic uh, actor studio. Um, Lee Strasberg, Al Pacino. That is um, very well renowned. And then something happens, 1983, with a little movie called Scarface, mm. a movie that I could not give less of a shit about. I do not care about Scarface really at all. It's got its fans, but it's it's one of those that exists just in this uh, this world of, I don't know, it's like everyone's got the poster yeah. on the wall. Everyone's like got it, the t-shirt. It exists in that. Yeah. Like. yeah. Um, but there is where the over-the-top Pacino comes in. So he does Scarface, Sea of Love, Dick Tracy, um, Excuse me. Godfather Part Three, um, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Son mm. of a Woman, Son of a Woman, Carlito's Way, Heat, Donnie Brasco, The Devil's Advocate, The Insider, and Any Given Sunday, all the way through the nineties. Yeah, a lot of over the top Pacino and yeah. all those you just listed. <laughs> I mean, he still made you know had good performances that weren't insane, but like like he, I think, is a little. I mean, he's still pretty crazy in Heat at times. But yeah, it works more in the setting of that one. Um, you know, being, I love him in Heat personally. I think he's it's it's it fits the character of the cop, yeah. but he's still very much in control. You know, right. what I, you know what I mean. Um, but there's a lot of speculation that around that time, around Sea of Love time, that some that this is just a whole different person, and this is the new Pacino. It's, that we, yeah, it's almost like he's doing a caricature of himself. Yeah, like he's doing an impression of himself at this point. Like this is the Pacino that everyone does an impression of now. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when Bill Hader does him on SNL, he yeah. goes for this Pacino because. It's so absurd and it's almost like he's calling on like the way people used to act in like the 40s, 50s, like this very showboaty acting that like worked at that time, but then faded out. And then it was almost like he, he went back there and I don't know, it's, it's so weird mm-hmm. and over the top and hammy in such a way that's, it's pretty iconic and interesting, but I, I hate it. I don't like it. It's not the type of acting I, I like. I think this is the worst example of it because he does things like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is really great. I mean, he's great in that. Um, you know, Heat is is a really really fun movie. Um, in like you know so many different ways, uh, and then even later with stuff like Insomnia and Angels in America, he still you still see the character driven uh, act. Uh, search in Pacino but like the early Pacino especially you know obviously Godfather and um, Godfather Part 2 he is really subtle like mm-hmm. you see the hints of it in Godfather 2 with the, where he like he does a couple like outbursts but not really the Michael Corleone especially in the first one is so internal and holds a lot back it's a really you know stark contrast to what he to, was later in this one yeah um and same with like Dog Day Afternoon he has a lot of over the top moments in Dog Day Afternoon but it still feels so grounded mm-hmm. and refined whereas yeah he, in his over the top moments in this one I mean the whole performance is over yeah. the top <laughs> every scene he's like doing a one man show I, it's just it's absurd yeah so this movie takes place entirely over um Thanksgiving weekend uh and I want to ask which is why we're talking which about is it. why we're talking about it yes um and I wanted to ask you just about 
the holiday of Thanksgiving and how you feel, um, what your connection is to it, and you have any like certain traditions. I feel like everyone kind of has like the same tradition, but like, what is your connection to the holiday? Yeah, so I've said it before, and I probably still feel this way that Thanksgiving is probably my least favorite holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels kind of inconsequential because there are plenty of other holidays where you can gather with family and have a good time. It doesn't have to be Thanksgiving. Uh, and I don't really like turkey all that much. It's fine. <laughs> I think, you know, ham and chicken are better. Uh, I am not a huge, I, I, you know, texture later like mashed potatoes. So that's not, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> Pumpkin pie is like my least favorite pie. So the whole <laughs> meal of Thanksgiving is like, well, this is just a waste. Like I'm just looking forward to Christmas Eve where we do like shrimp scampi and ham and, mm-hmm. and prime rib and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I just don't have any real affinity for Thanksgiving. Um, but you know, I still get to see family. It's one we've always hosted. So that's nice. Right, yeah. Um, or my Aunt Mary sometimes. We used to switch back and forth. Um, so it's it's still fun. Uh, I guess in later years, what made it fun for me was me and my cousins uh, developed a tradition where on Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, we'd go see a movie. Mm-hmm. And that was always fun. So looking time. forward to that. Like, because usually around this time, it's the Oscar buzzy stuff. So some, right, yeah. some quality projects. Um, so that aspect of it still lives on. Like, you know, getting to see my cousins, getting to see my family, enjoying a nice meal with everyone. I still yeah. enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I just, I think there's other holidays I prefer. I've always, I've always liked it personally. I like the meal of it and the vibe is, it feels a little bit more low key. I mean, the focus is obviously on the food, but like, you know, there's no gifts involved right. and like the so whole, you don't have to worry about all that like, whole pressure yeah. of that. Yeah. But, um, but the the most difficult thing about doing this series is there's not a lot of Thanksgiving centric no. movies. Yeah, when you first told me you're doing the the Halloween Thanksgiving Christmas concept, it's one of those where Halloween and Christmas have very distinct yeah. themes. Movies basically now we have entire months building up to those holidays. November doesn't really feel that way. It's just kind of like oh, and Thanksgiving, and now it's Christmas time, and people yeah. are like rushing into that. Um, yeah, most of the the movies that I guess you could kind of categorizes Thanksgiving movies are just kind of like, oh, they happen to take place Thanksgiving. Yeah. Not many of them are thematically about Thanksgiving, unlike Christmas and Halloween, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, this one kind of has some themes that it tries. It. Like, it, it, like, it's not like, I mean, we'll be talking about planes, trains, and automobiles later this month. That's kind of the main, the, the one that my family watches every sure. single year. And that one is centered around Thanksgiving. Getting home family. for the holiday. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. But like Christmas and Halloween, they have their, you know, they have their separate media art forms. Um, Thanksgiving just doesn't, though. There's no music attributed to it. The only thing really is like Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Right. Like, that's pretty much it. But And football. And Ooh. football, yes, absolutely. Um, but this movie kind of has like a certain vibe to it. It has a very late autumn vibe. You can kind of feel that the weather is like starting to get a little colder, especially when they go to like New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the center of the movie is the relationship between Al Pacino and um, Chris O'Donnell and how his. Yeah, his relationship with his parents is kind of tumultuous. So it tries. I think this movie was definitely trying to be like a um, have more Thanksgiving vibes than it necessarily gives off. Right. Um, but it's uh, it's one of the, it's there are a lot of other movies that have Thanksgiving scenes for sure. Like we could have talked about prisoners, but that would have been really different. <laughs> <you know? laughs> definitely a different vibe. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> Hannah and her sisters. There's, you know, there's a lot of movies that like have at least a Thanksgiving scene, but they're not necessarily always tied around that specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another one just pop up and now it's, I'm forgetting, but yeah, so it's, it's definitely, it's a holiday that doesn't really cater to having entire movies and films, re- you know, tied around it. Cause mm-hmm if they're thinking of a theme, they're already just thinking ahead to Christmas and a lot of Christmas movies lately release late November so that they can build all throughout December. Um, so it's almost like some people think of Thanksgiving as like pre Christmas. Yeah, that's true. I mean, cause they are obviously like so close together and right. black Fridays, um, the next day. And so that gets you in the spirit. Like we put our Christmas decorations up immediately the weekend after Thanksgiving. Like that's just how it goes in our house. Right. Um, it's such a fast turnaround, but, um, um, but we're going to attempt to kind of find the family themes in Son of a Woman. Do you want to try You want to just dive right into the critical breakdown? Yeah, let's go for let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's break it down. <laughs> First off, 
I think we should start with some positives. Um, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman is pretty damn good in this movie. It's definitely um, a hint of what's to come. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. He's very young. He's very slim. Uh, it was the movie that kind of put him on the map um, because he was doing some like TV stuff, but he gets this and he gets Boogie Nights and then it's pretty much off to the races with Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Um, but he does a really good job of playing this really douchey, preppy, um, prep school kid. I, we should actually say first the main, you know, story of this movie is that um, Charlie Sims, played by uh, Chris O'Donnell, uh, is staying uh, at his um, his prep school, the Baird Academy, or whatever. Yeah, I like to call it Dead Poet Society Light, Yeah, it's like they just watched that and went, yeah, let's do that! <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Chris O'Donnell was in School Ties, so another boarding school movie. Uh-huh. Um, where And so he stays um, there over Thanksgiving break and takes care of Al Pacino, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade, which is one of the worst movie character names Frank ever. Frank Slade. <laughs> um, but who is a um, blind war veteran and uh, tries to give some life wisdom to uh, Chris O'Donnell's character. And the whole thing starts like just... I have a question about this prep school thing, though. Bef- sure. Well, let's continue the Philip Seymour Hoffman conversation. I'm kind of—I have so much to say. I'm jumping all around in my head. Um, he's always been one of my personal favorite actors, and it's really Same. cool to see um, to see him early on. And he's—he's he's really got like the the inklings of what is to come, like you said. Like you can really see how he's trying to be like so inviting, yeah, and. But also he's so smarmy and slimy at the yeah. same time too. And I had forgotten that for some reason I thought that he had just completely turned on Charlie and gave him up, and that's why the courtroom like hearing happens at the end. But that's not right. what happens. So like that was a little a little muddy in my head. But he, you're not really sure like how you trust him at first. You're like, you're like is he is he gonna throw Charlie under the bus? Is mm-hmm. he gonna you know keep his friends safe? It's he's an interesting character in that where the other three guys are clearly just douche. Yeah, he's like he's like a likable one that's nice to Charlie and you know, you're not sure what to think of him. So yeah, I, yeah. I think it, it's fun to see uh, Hoffman in a role that early. Um, for sure. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of like him and, uh, uh it's good to see, um, James Rayburn as the, uh, what's the, uh, Trask, the, the yeah, headmaster. headmaster. I mean, he was always such kind of a, um, you know, a dick authority figure, um, around this time. And it was cool to see him again, um, looking a little younger than, uh, when I had first seen him in uh, How to Eat Fried Worms, a uh, childhood <laughs> classic. Uh, <laughs> Legendary yeah. movie and book. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole thing is like they um, rig this balloon above his uh, above his Jaguar that he bought or that the trustee... The trustees bought for him and they're bitter about that. Yeah. And so they sabotage him. It's one of those things where like... They don't do any buildup to indicate that he's a dick. It's just like, oh, he's the headmaster, so you have to hate him. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels a little unwarranted. Like, I feel like there should have been a, a scene earlier. Not that this movie's already long enough, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't know, something to indicate like, oh, he deserves it. But then they just yeah do the balloon, which by the way, that balloon has like this custom print of him, uh, yeah, kissing the butt of the trustees or whatever. I'm like, where do they get this yeah. in such short time? They like, had to have a graphic design. I guess they have uh, <laughs> connections being so wealthy, but you know, I guess so. And I mean, that's kind of the thing that they try and set up in this opening is that um, Charlie is on scholarship. He's there on aid, and he's from Oregon. He's from Oregon, so he, um, you know, there's a distance between him and. Uh, uh, what's in George and his friends because they're all rich and they're all pompous and but like it doesn't they don't really focus like that's just kind of a bullet point they're like, like a this side is, thing like oh by the way he's poor <laughs> yeah do you want to come to uh do you want to come skiing with us and sugar it's like bush. sugar bush <laughs> <laughs> come on man <laughs> and then like so he gets the jet he goes to Al Pacino's um niece's place I guess is the who's yeah it's higher, his niece yeah, yeah. um does she say also in the beginning that he's blind? Does she let him know that? I don't remember it because I think when he just walks her. Yeah, I think I think um, 
he, she doesn't give him any notice. Maybe on the mm. flyer it said something. It said, and I so saw it said knew. disability. Okay, so like he knew something going in, but then I don't think he realized he was blind right away because, I mean, he says like, Let me come closer so I can get a better look at you. Yeah. And he realizes when he's like, I like how his fumbling around for stuff in the beginning is so over the top, like him yeah. making it look like he's blind. He's like, oh, where's my glass? And <laughs> like it looks over the top, like Pacino's just like, Ugh. Yeah. Well, that's also the thing is that he... So he does the thing where he tries to keep he keeps his eyes open throughout most of it. But the problem is, is his facial expressions don't change. Right. So it just seems like someone took like a Al Pacino mask and put it on an actor. <laughs> and that's the performance in someone. Who? <laughs> that scene goes on for so long. That's yeah. the big problem I have with this with this writing is that most of these scenes or the, the whole movie is like so um repetitive yeah like even in just scenes he'll say the same thing like in three different ways and he has all these great big catchy one-liners yeah and, and some of them are funny the little quips and some of them are just like what are you saying yeah like, <laughs> i don't like i don't get it and the whole thing because i mean the whole thing essentially is like ah you're stupid you know like and he just says that like eight different times yeah. throughout it and it's and it's not really like filmed in the most like engaging way. It's just like the one two shot and it just kind of flips back and forth. And then after a while he was just and then he's like, uh, I don't think I'm right for this job. And it's like what nothing was accomplished there. Yeah, like they were just that, like skipping. That scene forward. does go on for way too long. Like it, you wanna look at why this movie's so long is they draw stuff like that, just like it feels like nothing really changed in that point. Like they could have done that a little quicker, got him out of there, been like, Alright, I don't like you kid. That could have been a lot quicker than they presented it. And instead, it's just him going off, doing his hammy over the top. Ha! I hate every time he does his laugh thing where he's like, ha! It's so annoying. It's terrible. It's like... And it's, he, he does it after he says like something insulting, but almost, is kind of creative. Like, it's almost like Bazinga and Big Big Theory. Maybe that's why I hate it. Cause it's like, I hate characters that do that. They have to make a joke or a quip. And then they're like, oh, I made a joke. Did you notice? Like... It's it's so annoying. So every time he says ha, I die, <laughs> I die a little on the inside. Apparently his acting style for this was what he would do everything with his eyes closed and then do a take where he would open his eyes so he could like like figure out how he would do it with his eyes closed. But it's like Okay. I, I don't like it still seems like you would it wouldn't translate like that well. <laughs> no, like I don't know. The thing about like actual blind people is that they've been used to it, you assume by a certain point, so they I don't know, it would probably look a lot more fluid to us rather than him just fumbling around. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I haven't spent an extended amount of time with someone that's blind, so yeah. I don't know. But it just it does feel like he's really playing it up. Mm -hmm. And here's one of my biggest problems with this movie is that it's essentially two movies combined into one, two mm -hmm. separate stories like put together. You got the one story where Charlie is, you know, being accused of this because uh, he has information about the uh, the, the balloon, the balloon, the balloon, prank, the balloon yeah. prank, and the. Uh, Trask is like, you know, they, the board of trustees gave me that car. And, you know, if you know, I can send you to Harvard. And if you don't tell me, then... Then you're just going to Yale. Then it's you're like, just wait, going, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that. And, um, and then when he meets up with Pacino, it becomes basically, you know, Tuesdays with Maury between <laughs> a blind guy and a fucking rat kid yeah. for, like... An hour and 30 minutes, and then by the end of it, they're like, like, we'll pepper in some phone calls between him and George that basically say the same thing. And yeah. Then the, yeah, the one he does, yeah, there's the two different phone calls that I can think of distinctly, and they're basically the same thing. Mm -hmm. It just feels like, oh, we, we need to touch back on his other plot line. Yeah. So, yeah. And they, it was basically like, hey, we got to talk about this. Okay, uh, maybe later. Hey, we got to talk about this. All right, maybe later. Hey, we got to talk about this. Hang up the phone, you fuck. And then that's pretty <laughs> much it. And then they go. He goes back, and then they have this yeah, fucking courtroom like those, hearing. Those phone calls don't really address, like, change anything. It's just more so as like a reminder to the audience. Like, by the way, there's this other story. Did you remember that? Yeah. And so they end up going to when they go to New York. They you know stay at the Waldorf Astoria, and they do all these crazy things. By the way, that whole sequence when they're on the plane and he has this big monologue Al Pacino oh has like God. eight different monologues in this movie that yeah. just like could be cut off like right you know right at the tip and I just think that that one is like it's so 92 because that comes from the 
what the scent of a woman title actually means is like, you ever smelled a woman, Charlie? You know, like it goes through this whole big thing. It's so it's, weird. It's like, dated. It's creepy. I mean, I wrote down the quote where he says, tits, hua. It's like <laughs> it, it, it borders extremely on appreciation of women and just objectification of women. This mm. guy where he's like, oh, women are the best thing in the world. And yeah. oh, I love a woman. Uh, it's it's so awful. It's, yeah. And I guess maybe this is where I'll just bring up that I in preparation for this, I I watched the Italian original that mm-hmm. this is based on um, just, you know, to get some hindsight on what they were basing it on. And in that one, the, the captain, he's a captain in the Italian one. He's way more like objectifying every woman he comes into contact with. And it's even grosser. So I guess good on them for dulling it down a little bit. Where in this one, you're kind of like, okay, he just really likes women in the, in the, in the old one. I can't recommend anyone watch that Italian yeah. one. Cause it's, it's terrible by today's standards. Oof, yeah. Um, but, but even in this one, it still like feels problematic where he's just so like, Oh, Charlie. Oh, you gotta yeah. have a woman. Oh, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Take us to the finest escorts in town. Yeah. And like the whole thing where, so that whole speech, it just like is the same thing like over and over and over again. He's like, you know, like tail in the tail. Ah, you know, he even and, calls his like knee or grandniece, the little, the small girl, he calls her tail. Yes, too. And that feels right. so like, uh, why does he say that? Ugh. He like in the whole thing with like the flight attendant where he's like, you know, Get, get Veronica up here. It's like, how do you know her name? And he says, like... Like, he gives this weird, shit like, explanation for why her name is that. Has this kind of perfume? Has this kind of, you know... Uh, well, you know what they say, if you wear a Chanel number no. 5, your name is Rebecca. Yeah. I don't know, what is he saying? <laughs> like, he's, his, his wisdom is terrible. Yeah. He doesn't offer it's good so, advice. It's just so weird and gross. But, like, again, that's the product of 92, where you're watching this, and you're like, okay, it's Pacino. He's doing this voice. He's doing... Um, like, he's just putting so much energy into it. I mean, I bet he's having a blast, but, like, just what he's saying is so strange, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, he just, it's almost like they just filmed Al Pacino going off on random tangents, and they threw it in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. that's just so many of his monologues are, it's just random tangents, and they just, that's, like, when a movie's long, it has to earn its length, and this movie really doesn't, because so many of those times where he's just going on and on, you're like, this is adding nothing to the movie, and I'm just like, can we get on with it already? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I want to talk about Chris O'Donnell real quick, because he he's, has an interesting career where he's kind of been, like kind of like stagnated for the past like few years and like he so he's in this this was a big break for him he's in school ties he's in then he's in batman and robin batman forever um and you know is well known now for doing uh ncis uh los angeles right mm-hmm. seven time emmy winner uh for yeah. best drama. <laughs> no i'm just kidding uh, uh him and ll cool j hanging out <laughs> I don't uh, know. Prime television. Uh, uh, he's terrible in this movie. I'm sorry. I think he's awful. Um, I think he's just such a like. He d- he has no emotion other than like just mild inconvenience. Like when he's like, "We're going to New York City." He's like, "But we we can't." Like, come on. Like, what? We're not supposed to yeah, do man, that. He's he's such a dope. Like, I yeah. think he's supposed to be timid and like hesitant about everything that Al Pacino is trying to get him to do. But he plays it so doughy mm-hmm. and just like like such a pushover but in such a lame way that like he's so not convincing and really doesn't go toe-to-toe with Pacino like you would want someone to um I can just think of like a number of other actors that would have been young at this point that could have played it way better than him I mean he's someone I've always thought is a terrible actor nothing you know against the guy he could be the nicest guy in the world but I just really don't mm-hmm. think he was meant ever to be an actor I just holy like, rusted metal Batman. yeah he's <laughs> garbage in Batman forever and Batman and Robin but everyone's Garbage in worse and worse than Batman Forever, in my opinion. Yeah, he's uh, somehow. I, I still, as you know, uh, I have a guilty spot for that movie, but he is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> he's just not a good actor. I'm sorry. No, like, and the the only scene in this movie that I I think he like kind of pulls his own way is um you know when they're wrestling with the gun and he's mm-hmm. actually crying like that one. I'm like okay, he's 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 all right in that scene, but the rest of it, he's just he's so blah that you could replace him with anything and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, well that whole scene is t- like. I agree when he's like crying, you're like, okay, some actual emotion, but like, it's that whole scene itself is like just dampened by him when he grabs the gun and is holding it and he's like, come on, just do it, man. Pull the trigger. Just sit it down for a little bit, please. But he's like, you, like, pull the trigger, you motherfucker. It's like he (laughs) just learned to swear like two days ago and is like just finally letting it out. Um, But he, like, he's just like this weird, like, rat kid. Like, he doesn't really 
add anything to it. And that's I think that also has to do with his characters just being like again, he's just so mildly inconvenient by this uh, whole instance. And the like when even at the courtroom hearing scene at the end, he's just kind of like, oh. Okay, like cool. Yeah, yeah you know, just, like he, I mean, he's just there to let Al Pacino steal the show. Yeah, very true. And I mean, like even in the scene when he, <laughs> when they're at dinner, and first Pacino tells him that he missed the last shuttle because he's like, I lied. It leaves at nine. He's like, it leaves at nine o'clock. <laughs> Al, come on. <laughs> what? Well, come on, it's my plane. <laughs> and then he goes to this whole big thing. He's like, I'm gonna, you know, take out my forty-five and blow my brains out. And he's like. Wait, Colonel, Hang on. did I hear that right? Yeah. Are you, you going to commit suicide? Let's talk about that. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. My favorite part of, in that scene is when <laughs> Pacino just like is rattling off and he goes, would you like a roll? I butted it for you. Yeah, that made me <laughs> laugh when he's like, I butted it for you. <laughs> Let me just say, I, mean, I should have said this earlier. I think this movie suffers from something I like to call face-off syndrome. <laughs> if you recall, face-off when it came out was welcomed to universal praise Mm -hmm. like people loved that movie and i love that movie but it is an insane movie like it is filled with just hammy over-the-top performances a story that makes no sense and just absurd action this movie comes out gets you know several oscar nominations wide praise um pacino wins and when you watch it now this is one of the most ridiculous movies i have ever ever seen it is yeah just, it's just pure oscar bait Ugh. and it's not even just that it's oscar bait just the story itself is just ridiculous it's just i mean as i noted like i i think the italian film's bad i think it's just rooted in a bad story yeah. of like you're trying to make this this guy sympathetic but by the end of both the italian and this one i don't feel he's been redeemed at all i still feel like he's sexist i still feel like he's a complete asshole the whole thanksgiving scene He's he's just a complete dick. He doesn't even try to remember his nephew's uh, wife's name. He like messes up the company his nephew works for. He has like no respect for them at all, and yet he's still the one showing up and ruining everything for them. And then he gets angry when the guy calls him Chuck instead of Charlie. It's like he feels like there is no re- redeeming qualities mm-hmm. to me over the course for him in the movie, just other than like you know he makes Charlie he he's there for him. Yeah, like I I just hate these movies that like pretend like they made a round character when really they just made an insufferable character that's still by the end it's like i still don't like them yeah. wait you you tricked me You're, I, I don't like him still you never gave me something to like really latch on to so and it's not like he's supposed to like it's it's not like the movie's saying like this is a bad guy like the movie is definitely supposed like, to be like making feel him bad to be like him. the yeah like the sympathetic character but again he's just such an ass in yeah. that uh the thanksgiving scene let's talk like, about that scene Let, let's get it's into a that. it's a lot i mean well bradley whitford yeah i know right like way baby before, face bradley way whitford. before he w- became a tv star on west wing my personal favorite character on west wing mainly because we share the same name um and uh that's uh robert right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so it was good to see him and he's pretty good. I mean, he's putting on, you know, his Whitfordisms a little sure. bit. Um, but he, the whole, here's my whole thing with that scene. Well, first of all, when he shows up, cause he says like, he doesn't know I'm coming. Wait to see the look on his face. For some reason in my mind, I re- I remembered Whitford being the brother. I, but you know, he's just the nephew, he's the nephew yeah. but like when I was going back to watch, it, I was like, wait, Bradley Whitford was so much younger than Al Pacino. It makes no sense that they're brothers. And I realized that that just takes away all of the drama of the scene because it's just his random nephew who's yelling at him and telling him he has all these problems. How, like, imagine at least how much incrementally better that scene would have been in it. If it, it was the, the two brothers are the, ha- yeah. well, the two brothers it's just themselves are hashing it out at the dinner table instead sure. of just this random nephew. Yeah, it like. Yeah, it's weird that they build it up as like the brother brother conflict, and then he's just the the brother's just there to be like, oh my brother. Yeah, it, it, like it feels so unfulfilling in that way. It's it's interesting you point that out. I didn't really think of it that way, but yeah, it's like when his brother does walk in, he just walks in. And he's like, hey Frank. Like yeah. it's like <laughs> like they weren't expecting him, and yet they all seem just kind of like, up oh, Frank's here, I guess. Well, yeah, that was the other thing I was watching. I was like, he comes in and 
hugs his sister-in-law and smells her oh, neck. Oh, another creepy, creepy, yeah. creepy. You know, I got to get creepy, a whiff, creepy. you know? It's like, It's Jesus. so uncomfortable. This is why I, I hate the character by the end, because he's done these creepy, insufferable, gross things, and it's like, no, he hasn't been redeemed. He's still gross. Yeah. And <laughs> you can't just, like, let his blindness make everything he does okay. But no one says anything. Well, no one, like, does anything, I guess I should say, because no one is, like, try, like, it'd be so much better, again, if someone, like, we need to try and get him out, like, we need to like yeah, push like, him out and then some family members like no let's give him a chance or it's fucking something but they're all just instead, like alright let's go to the dinner table you know I got the rolls out already yeah. you know? you're gonna butter them for me yeah. <laughs> um, yeah cause like the whole time you know after uh, Bradley Whifford's like laying him like really tearing into him and he he just kind of takes it cause I think you know at this point he, he hates himself too um, but then like he's saying all these terrible things to the women in the room and you would think at some point the brother would stand and be like, Frank, get out of my house. Yeah. Like, but that never comes. And it's like, why are they so just like, w- until he like grabs Bradley Whitford by the, th- the throat, why are they like not ready to just kick him out right there? Like get out of our house. Yeah. Like, I guess it's because he's blind. They're like, yeah, he's blind. I guess so we can't kick him out. But I don't know. It's yeah. like, <laughs> they don't react like people would in this situation. Yeah. It's such a weird scene. There's also three relatives. There's like six people at this dinner table three of them we have no idea who they yeah, are it's like, like <laughs> i think it's yeah his brother's wife but it, i and like some other rando mm-hmm. and well this is where we find out like how he was what caused his blindness he was like juggling grenades with a buddy of his or something like that and then and, his eyes got poofed then, yeah. i don't know how he didn't <laughs> suffer any other damage just blindness like yeah i don't know about the like, scientific what, did a flash accuracy. did a flash it was bang a flashbang. That might have been more. In front of him? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, okay. But, like, yeah, nothing else happened to him. And his friend survived, like, was perfectly fine. I feel like, like yeah, there should, like, maybe if his friend died, that'd make it a little more interesting, mm-hmm. right? But then now it's just he he lost his eyesight. And he's yeah. like, hua. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a byproduct of blindness. Because yeah, that, that part is so weird where Whiffer's just going off saying awful things and Pacino's just like, yep. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I suck. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> but again, because I guess it makes sense in the grand scheme of things of like he hates himself and that's why he's suicidal and like he's realized that he's kind of a shit heel. Mm-hmm. But then I, I don't know. It's it's still like it feels weird. The, the like the the pace of that scene and like the the way it it pl- plays out. I don't know. I, on one hand, I really like Whitford's like monologue. Yeah, I, he's I, good. I, I enjoy it. Um, but just yeah, the way he. I don't know. I go back and forth whether I like him not reacting to it heavily because it kind of makes sense. But then also it's such like a blah mo- like moment from it's him. N- the thing is, is it, the in and of itself, it kind of makes sense because like you said, yes, he's suicidal. He hates himself. And you can see it later when he says goodbye to his brother. But like it's also just not engaging. Just the, again, through the whole thing, he's just like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, hula. You know, he just like corrects him when he gets names or certain things wrong. Yeah, and like that, and that's it. And then, and then they leave. And like, granted, actually, my scarf was blue when I tossed the grenades. Like, uh, <laughs> get that right; it's an important detail. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> no. And like, that's kind of one thing that they talk about that is at least somewhat relatable to everybody. Is everyone has that one really crazy relative that like they either don't mention or just like don't like at all, and they either come to the family gathering or like, okay, if I just you know dodge this person, I can make it through the night. You know, just kind of stay on the other side of the room, and boom, like we're <laughs> we're good. But like again. It's just that one scene where that's highlighted and the rest of it is trying to be this family thing between the two because Charlie's got a bad you know, relationship with his family and so does Frank and then they go together like glue, you know, yeah. like, like the dad I never had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I will give this movie at least a little bit of credit. I wasn't necessarily bored while I was watching the no, movie. No, like it does its job as Oscar bait because there's some that are like, oh my God, this is a slog. This one, it, it like, it has a good pace. It's like, well, I mean, aside from the fact that it's way too long. It's, just, like, it's stretched out, but it's at least like, it's captivating. I, the hamminess is somewhat like I, I was laughing throughout most of the movie because I mean it's supposed to be serious. It's supposed to be a very dramatic character, but it's it's just a ham fest. It like, is. It's <laughs> a ham fest. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that, I, I'll at least give it credit to where I was at least somewhat entertained watching. I wasn't dreading as it was going on. I mean, the ridiculousness of it was at least fun to do on a rewatch because there was so much of that aspect of it that I uh, had kind of forgotten right. and so um so i appreciate that but the movie like i would not give this movie an award no like, but i i get why people did it was very showy it was over the top and like it was pacino so it was kind of like a ah, he deserved it he had one up until this point but i guess that's kind of where the issue stems in is he should have won like three other times yeah. over his career and then they just like ah here you go finally do you know, so do you know uh 
who was first offered the role of Frank Frank Slade in this? Uh, I don't. I'm trying to think. Like, if I have to guess, I don't know. Him and De Niro always offered the same roles. Yeah. Was it De Niro? No, no, no. It was uh, it was Nicholson. Oh, oh. Fun fact. Okay. Turn it down. And what movie is he in this year? Uh, this coming out? No, no. Oh, oh, same. in '92 is um, what is it? '92. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a few good men. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Now okay. imagine. And, yeah, he still got nominated for that. So. Now imagine you swap those parts. Now imagine Nicholson in *Son of a Woman*. Mm-hmm. Imagine Pacino in *A Few Good Men*. I'm curious. Nicholson, I think, would play this re- role. Much I think better. that makes *Son of a Woman* a better movie, and I Definitely. think that makes *A Few Good Men* a worse movie. Yeah. Well, again, this is the era of Pacino where he's just going at it he's like almost i mean you brought up face off he's almost on par with like nicholas cage in terms of his like over the topness and i even said what did i i wrote something down about how he has like a like oh i said his his voice tone borders on stallone at times yeah like, some of the lines he delivers i'm like wow that's not i i <laughs> I had to. I have to bring up an old uh, episode of this. It reminds me of Stallone in Spy Kids 3D. A couple of lines when he said them, I'm like, he's delivering it so like over the top that it's literally reminding me of Stallone right yeah. now. Like you, you can tell sometimes <clears throat> Pacino tries to di- like again. The one part where I think Pacino is actually pretty good is when he. Um, says goodbye to his brother uh-huh. like you can tell it's like okay this is the last because it's a more reserved it's moment more, more when reserved, he's actually yeah. toning it down instead of going a hundred for 90 percent of the movie yeah the rest of the time he's just like these are lines that i'm saying you yeah, know it's like, like it's, it's so ridiculous. weird and so the the other thing i need to bring up it continuing down the arc of uh of pacino's character is that like he just gets in the sad boy hours halfway through <laughs> and just is laying in the bed and he's like, oh, I don't want to do anything today. And like, and then, and then when he's like stumbling through the street and just oh walking in traffic, <laughs> he also, just in terms it's of so why also funny. he's a terrible character is during the whole driving the Ferrari sequence, yeah. he's just endangering this poor kid's yeah. life. Also, there's no way he would have not crashed into anything. Yeah. It's the most ridiculous scene in the movie. And it's I hate the, it it's the worst scene because in the movie. It's, it it's is so awful. unrealistic. And he's literally about to kill this kid the entire time it's like you may have a death wish but like this kid has a young bright future ahead of him please don't kill him in this car there's a couple things wrong with so first of all we actually do never know okay so he's saved up his like uh veterans VHX, right and he basically buys this ferrari because he says like i'll give you two thousand now and then come monday i'll have a check for you for a hundred and ten thousand or whatever the fuck it is and I, I like, thought he was like bribing the guy at that point instead of like trying to pay for the car because I, I don't know maybe you uh, either way this guy like, is like super the you know the salesman's like no I'm not letting you have it and then he's like oh do that no you can ah, okay, it's like fine. dude what are you yeah, doing but it was but it was Chris O'Donnell's idea to do that so and it starts off okay the idea itself okay fine he take he gets a Ferrari get to drive him around the city all right cool but then chris o'donnell agrees to let him drive or not even agrees it seemed like it was his idea like he's thinking like oh okay and then they pull off in this like random like, like side very clear and, like, fake studio city hollywood <laughs> studios disney backlot like area of new york um where he just lets him drive and it's like what are you doing and he's like please slow down please stop and he's not like he literally is putting this kid in danger yeah. this is where like again by the end of the movie i'm like i i hate this character still you've done you've not redeemed him because he endangered this poor kid life and then he but like the fact that he actually would like turn now and he does that twice and he doesn't yeah. hit anything is mm-hmm. so unbelievable and then no one's if you've around ever been, like, like sneezed on the highway you're afraid you're gonna drive off like the yeah, line for a second literally like so it's so unbelievable it's like this ridiculous scene in the middle of this pretty grounded movie that and like, then that cop is just like all right cool you know just be take it back to the take it back to the dealer and it's like what what do you do? how do you not do you not question the fact that this man is not making eye contact with you the entire time yeah and like doesn't know when to grab it when you put it in front of him and wouldn't his id maybe say like blind or disabled or something on it on his i guess that was his va card probably I mean, you would think it would say you know blind eyesight blind i also can't don't, see I also, do not let drive car <laughs> <laughs> eh, eh, eh. i don't know of any dealership that will just like do you think like the the cop should have at least questioned being like i don't really think a dealership will take your license you should have that like right yeah i, I like like he's just like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, and also, how many times is this guy gonna is you know Frank gonna be like, this is my son Charlie, you know, yeah. the entire time. This is my boy. Yeah, my boy. Oh my god, can we talk about the fucking uh, 
ballroom dance scene also because that one is <laughs> for, so first of all the other thing about um chris o'donnell's character is, is he's at a boarding school but he's in high school i'm guessing he's like a senior he's like 27 years old and looks like he's pushing 30 and right. he's playing a high school senior and <laughs> i love when he orders a drink he's like do you uh do you have beer? Like, all right, get out of here. You know, like I'm not dealing with you that. You got an ID, kid? <laughs> and, and the other thing is, like, also this whole movie. There's only like three female characters, and because I mean, it's at a boarding school for guys, and uh, there's the uh, there's the his niece, and uh, and then this woman that he dances with. This poor woman that just was waiting for her significant other. At uh, and like did wanted to, probably wanted to be left alone, and then they're just going up and bother him because he's like, "Oh, I smell a woman." Yeah. It's like it's so gross. Yeah. It's literally just treating women like objects. Yeah. And so many movies did this back then, and it makes them really hard to evaluate now. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Like so, they just walk up to him like, "This is my friend Jolly. Might yeah. we join you?" If a blind like Al Pacino and a twenty-seven-year-old high school senior walked up to my table, I would have many a questions. Yeah. You know, like and the poor girl's like, "Yeah, I guess." Yeah, and cool. then he's like, "Let's." Tango, darling. Yeah. Uh, like, My Pacino impression's not very good. Yours is way better. <laughs> <laughs> and they do this whole big fucking thing. What was it with dance sequences in movies, too, that were non-musicals? Like, yeah. that was kind of a thing to, like, add more time and make it seem like it was more of, a like, a, an artistic piece. Let's add let's add a cool dance sequence, you know, in there. Yeah. I will say the band's going hard in this They part. love they're, it, they're, yeah. They're having a good time. The guy in bass is like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they... And then her... Husband comes by and it's just like, oh, this, this is great. This is normal. Cool. You found a dance partner, this blind guy. Cool. Let's leave the restaurant we're currently at. Like, I thought why he was, was she even waiting here if they were just gonna leave? Yeah. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. That's just it's, one of those things where like they don't think about it. And they're like, hey, nobody. Will yeah. Care. Um, movie. Now it'll be fine. Movie. Yada yada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, and then he tries to kill himself and th- that whole scene and it's like, yeah, just like real selfish actions from him to like you may be suicidal but to like lump this kid in with you and he's still there like it's just it puts an enormous weight and like trauma onto him so Mm. it's such a selfish decision like that's to give him at least a little bit of fairness he did ask him to go down to the lobby to get stuff and he was gonna do it then so he didn't want him in the room but like still he would have to deal with it like now this poor kid who just was hired to be like he's a selfish individual like you may be suicidal but don't like this poor kid who like has little connection to you now you're gonna make him the one that has to call the police and deal with the whole situation he's gonna be traumatized his whole life probably yeah and i hate his, i hate this character yeah, i hate it he's so much. awful but like he again that's another scene that just goes on for so long mm-hmm. like he's just the, like half of the half of it is literally chris o'donnell just being like give me the gun give me the yeah. gun give me the gun give me the gun please the, the, that's it and then he's like ah fuck it and then <laughs> they get into a little tussle and he's just like i got nothing i'm in the dark here you know <laughs> like and it's like oh my god what is happening yeah. <laughs> um and again it like a little bit of credit to Chris O'Donnell for like trying, but then he's just like, you know, pull the trigger, motherfucker. Why don't you just do it, man? <laughs> I'll see if I care when your blood sprayed out. No. Yeah. Something really changed the moment when I touched this gun. I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, God. <laughs> Second thought. Yeah. I like what the part when he, like, this is earlier, but he's like, it's not a gun, Charlie. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're telling me no it's service. It's a piece or a weapon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do they, is that true? Maybe that's true. They don't I don't know. I don't know, but either way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just so, he's just insufferable like this, and it, it, he's really over the top in that scene, so I guess you could call it like Charlie bounces back pretty quickly from that, you know? Yeah, he's like, like okay, we're good to go, back like, to good. school, right? Yeah. And no he, more killing yourself, you promise? Yeah. Like, and then, yeah, and then the movie, you know, is like, oh, right, the prank, let's go back to that, which I have just so many questions about how, like, this came about, because, I mean... The actual morals of it, obviously, Frank addresses in his big monologue, and it makes sense, but, like, the whole idea of, like, okay, so these two people saw something, and they're not saying who, so we're going to put them in a hearing against, like, in front of the entire student body. As if that'll, you know, I guess, the pressure of of it. Board of Trustees, and, yeah, the pressure of it's going to come up, and, like, we'll get some answers, but then only Charlie is punished? Like, I don't... I don't understand why this had to happen. Like, no, there's no I reason. Don't know. For I the- just, 
I get the idea of wanting to again because in the original Italian, the the Charlie character isn't really fleshed out at all. Like the the Italian one begins with him just showing up to the captain's house. There's no real backstory for him at all. So I kind of appreciate that they gave that character more substance because you know it's a, it's the character we can probably more relate to since we're the ones being you know dealing with Al Pacino's character in a way by watching it. So I get them wanting to create some conflict with him, but just the way they go about it, it just takes too long and it it, it hogs up time that I, I don't know. I just feel like they could have had another conflict for him other than the one they chose. And that the I, the whole ending scene is just one of those I mean, we love a courtroom drama and oh, this isn't really a courtroom, but you, you know, it has that purpose and we we love that big monologue, but like, oh, it's just so over the top and like it's so, showboaty and it's just like I check out by that point. Yeah. I'm like, "All right, okay." He's literally just like, "I'm just getting warmed up." And you're like, "Oh god. All right, let's go." And I mean, I used to like it as a uh, when I first saw it, I was, but it's like it's so long. Like that's yeah. the other thing. It's like There's just so many other examples of this same type of scene that are way better. Yeah. Like I think I, I haven't seen Injustice for All, but he probably does the same thing better in that That's movie. That's where fucking Out of Order comes yeah. from. This like, whole court's out of order. Yeah. Like, and, and, I'll take a flamethrower to this place. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, how does no one just be like, all right, so we're going to reconvene later. Yeah, like, this guy's crazy. we got to get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, again, the fact that... Well, th- the fact that, you know, no one cuts him off, the fact that I always thought that, like, there would be half of the people in the student body who were just going to be like, um, who are these people? Yeah, wait, like, what is going on? Like, why are we here? And even, like, after the decision is made, everyone, you know, stands up and cheers and it's like, yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Like, you guys don't uh, know what's going on. Like, who? Yeah, it's, it's just one of those, like, feel good moments and, like, it's supposed yeah. to be arousing. Oh, get the audience really happy at the end of the movie and they'll mm-hmm. leave the theater and say, I'm voting for Pacino for this year. <laughs> um... Uh, it's so bad. I just, also, what's going so... on? What's going on with the Baird school attire? Like they have their own jackets, but in the beginning of the movie, everyone is dressed nicely but wearing different like suits. Mm-hmm. I was like that. Like so, you have a school dress code where it has to be formal, but you're gonna give you know people at least a little bit of freedom to put that juice in your outfit. I was like that I defeats guess. the whole purpose of a school uniform. Like, <laughs> like uh, what's going on? Yeah, it does make a lot of sense there. Um, um but like again, so. And also the whole thing that sets sets him down this road is that George says, I didn't have my contacts in, so I couldn't see. So he didn't, he in that instance, he wouldn't have known who it was. He would have just seen bodies moving. Obviously, he knows who actually did it. Right. But like, in, in Trask's head, he's like, okay, an alibi. Charlie, what have you got? Like, that is all, that's all you're going to do. Like, it's just like, boom, yeah. that's it, done. Wait, do, uh, but doesn't, um, does he name the guys, George? Yes. He, said, he still names them, right? Like, yeah. It's like, I think it was. So he's totally, he had a good excuse, and then he also rats out his friends that yeah. are now going to hate him. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, I don't know, like, okay, I guess. It just doesn't really make sense. But And again, I mean, the whole time, the, you're like, well, why are you punishing Charlie then obviously you know Frank says that he's like this boy has integrity you know and he like just says that like over and over and over again Um, but like I don't I I don't understand how someone in the board of trustees was like well he we're only talking about people who may have saw the event happen we're not talking about anyone who could have potentially done it yeah and they should know that like nobody wants to be the snitch so like they should have expected this outcome Mm-hmm. Or like, you know what I was thinking if I was Charlie, I would have like told him in like the private confidential who did it. And I was like, but can you still do the trial to make it look like I didn't say their names and you found it out otherwise? That's how you play the game smart. You know, mm-hmm. you don't be a, you, you don't come off as a snitch. But not a snitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. And then, you know, basically it ends and he walks off and then Francis Conroy shows up for whatever fucking reason uh, for him to be like, ooh, do you want to like, you know, talk about like, you He's know. Another person for him to creep on. Yeah, literally. And you could see the cameraman and his sunglasses reflected. <laughs> nice. um, so, I mean, we've, you know, pretty much just <laughs> assaulted this movie. Yeah, with, I should take with, a second to step back and be like, there are worse movies. I guess maybe my frustration comes at him winning for this year mm-hmm. when there were other deserving performances in the same year. And it's just, I guess it's more so it's one of those career things, which I don't think the Oscar should be. I think it should be best performance in a given year, not, yeah. oh, we loved all your other performances that we didn't give to you somehow, and so now we're going to correct that mistake. It's like, no, Academy, it's too late. Yeah. You should have had him one for part two, uh, Godfather yeah. part two, instead of, uh, I think, Art Carney won that year for a movie yeah. that sounds completely 
again, interesting to me of a man walking around with his cat. So mm-hmm. like you already made that mistake back then. It's like it's too late. Yeah. You it's, had your chance and now it you're is a travesty that he didn't Because this two. actually kind of sets a whole thing into motion where like so he wins this year instead of Denzel for Malcolm X, which most people point to. I st- still need to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um and then Denzel wins for training day. Um, which I mean, some people think is deserved. like I just feel it sets this whole thing in motion where we're giving people Oscars for the movies they shouldn't have won for. But, yeah, a lot yeah. of corrections need to be made. Yeah. Um, let's go into uh, the analysis section because I feel like we, you know, have kind of uh, we have uh, we have to get the ball rolling on that sure. a little bit. Like we said earlier, I, I wanted to talk about, we kind of saved this section for talking about, you know, themes and the message, but I, I wanted to talk, you know, kind of how Frank's arc uh, is played out in this movie. Because it doesn't seem, it's not too overt. I think He's kind of the character with the actual arc. I, I personally didn't really see a whole lot of change in Charlie's character. I could be wrong, I mean, unless you saw something, but I felt like he was pretty much, and maybe that has to do with Chris O'Donnell's acting, but, like, he doesn't really seem like he goes through a whole big, like, oh, my life is completely different now. He just yeah. kind of has this burden like You're waiting for that, and it doesn't really come... So it's there's almost like there's real no change from either of them. Just now they know each other and still suck. I don't know. Like yeah. I, again, I hate these movies that like pretend they have these huge round characters. But like when you actually break it down, it's like well they you really didn't indicate much to indi- you know like just because he says cool things. Yeah, mean, like yeah. but like you you there does need to be a point at the end where Charlie like it would make way more sense for Charlie to stand up for himself at the end, not yeah. to have him do the whole speech for him. Yeah, because then you would see oh now he's stepping up for himself. He's doing this whole thing. That's the movie you should have wrote. Like him doing the speech at the end just I don't know makes him wanting to take the spotlight again like it just I don't know it just feels like this movie doesn't really accomplish anything that it seems to set out to do yeah it definitely seemed like it was going to be it was just the movie for Pacino you know that yeah. was the that was the goal and you know technically speaking it, they, worked. Th- it worked but the whole thing with his arc is that this is the only thing that I could actually you know recognize there's two things one is that he doesn't kill himself he just right. kind of sets that aside and he comes back at the end second thing is that Earlier in the movie, uh, I can't. I think it's like right when they get to the hotel. He says something like, "There, there are two people in this world: those who, um, those who run for cover, and those who, um, like face the music." Uh, hi- those who hua. Yeah, <laughs> and he says like hiding is better or something like that. Like taking cover is better mm-hmm. or something like that. And then later he's like, you know. Um, uh, and he basically says, you know, the exact opposite. And he's like, there's Charlie facing the fire and there's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. You know, yeah. he's basically like flipped and like, don't run and hide, face your problems. That's and also pretty much of, it. Though. Yeah. And it kind of ties back into the rich poor thing, but only like lightly. It's mm-hmm. like it's one of these things where they set up a bunch of themes and don't really deliver. Um, tying back into since this is a Thanksgiving movie, there was one quote I wrote down that um, I guess ties into like, what you could take away from this is that like he does become this kind of father figure and they have this nice relationship by the end. And he says something along the lines of uh, when Charlie's hesitant to go to his family's Thanksgiving, uh, he says, Oh, you got to have Thanksgiving somewhere. So like, there's still this tie of like this uh, desire to have family and spend specifically this holiday with someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he does end up being like this father figure. So I guess on that front, they kind of deliver, but so, you know, they've changed in that they have this new relationship with each other, but yeah, still the characters still feel like they really didn't go through that much change, even though they should have. I don't know. I just feel like the, the last 30 minutes of this movie is, is wrote just to written, wrote, whatever. Yeah. Uh, just to win, uh, get an opportunity to Oscar, like sell it with that big scene. Yeah. But instead they should have focused on, you know, ending these characters like in a satisfying, more satisfying way. So Charlie delivering a bit of a monologue would have been far more compelling and makes sense for the character. Pacino, I don't know, coming to terms with something like having a speech more about like, Oh, I appreciate life now. I don't know. It just, it feels so pseudo change. Like it, 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 I don't know. It just doesn't feel satisfying by the end. But they also, they, they set up some stuff that could go somewhere. right? Right. So they're like, okay, um, Charlie is, you know, away from his family for Thanksgiving and he, you know, his family's poor. They run a mom and pop shop and then it's revealed later that, which I mean, they make it a reveal that he says, oh, it's not my dad, it's my stepdad, but that he had already said that earlier. So it was, but I think did the screen did they just forget? You know what I mean, though? Like, yeah, I don't know. So he's like, oh, my dad's an asshole. But so they set that up 
but again, it doesn't. He doesn't have this realization of who the real father figure is. He doesn't have any anything reconciled. Like one thing that they could have done is if, like, okay, the dad is a somewhat prominent figure in the story, and they have this really tumultuous relationship. Like instead of calling George to have those two second conversations, maybe he's like his dad's checking up on him or something. Right. And then finally, by the end of it, he can face his dad because of this relationship that he had with with Frank. That is something I just came up at the top of my head. Yeah. But, like, but if you want that, go watch Dead Poets Society. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I love Dead Poets. Um, Me too. Way better movie. Oh, wait, uh, hands down. But um, what was the other thing uh, I was going to... Oh, the the other thing that I was kind of thinking of is that, okay, so this takes place all in Thanksgiving break, and the one thing that I will say that this movie kind of does in a probably not intentional way, but was I still felt it, was the idea of like Thanksgiving break, especially as, as college students or just school, like just students, it's such a limited window of time, but it also seems like, Oh, okay, cool. It's break. You know, we got to go all out. Um, but it's, you almost end up trying to cram in so many things in that one weekend. So like, you know, when, when we were in school, we'd be like, we got to come back. We got to do something like every night we got to hang out. And then right. it like, you know, you always run out of time and it's like, oh shit. Cause then the- family comes up and you got to spend time with them and yeah. then you're going back to school already. And then finals are just around the corner. So yeah. Um, but here, you know, they try and do, uh, you know, so many things, obviously they're going on the, the, his friends are going on the ski trip, but like they, you know, they go to the Waldo first they go to dinner, they go dancing, they get an escort, you know, Frank has sex with somebody, they go get a car, they <laughs> Which, do. By the way, it doesn't take them very long. No, it does not. No, it does <laughs> Nothing not. against him. Hey, you know, he's probably out of practice, but <laughs> that, that's all scene. So they like really dance around, you know, it being a prostitute and all this. And it's just, everyone's like, like the limo driver nabs it from, you mm-hmm. assume from this nice limo rental service. And he's like, yeah, I know where you can find a prostitute. Don't, don't yeah. worry about it. I got you. Hey, forget about it. Um, but that was the only other thing that I was just kind of noticing. I was like, oh, I remember those times where, you know, you try and just do like 80 different things in the span of like, I mean, the weekend was like five days, but you had actually really like three days because of the holiday itself. And so I, I give them that even if it wasn't intentional. But like beyond that, the basic takeaway I think that was intended um, was you know, the power of, you know, unexpected family, those who really actually end up caring about you and that you can learn from. Because, I mean, I joked about it earlier, but this really does feel like it's trying to be a less um, emotional, emotionally resonant version of like Tuesdays with Maury. Like, Mm -hmm. it just seems like, you know, older guy, younger guy, there's going to be some life lessons in there. But the lessons that he takes away, they're not really all that. No, it's just, again, neither character really feels different by the end. You want to watch a better uh, take on this same concept, old and young, is like Up. Up does it better, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. by the end, the old man, you know, comes to terms with everything, and the young kid, like, grows and becomes stronger. That just doesn't happen in this movie. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that, like, the whole thing he says at the end... And I mean, this is, he's selling, you know, Charlie being okay. But like, he says, this boy, you know, he has integrity. He's got soul. You know, there's nothing worse than a damaged, you know, soul or whatever. But like, he Even always. you almost killed him in a car wreck. But. Yeah. <laughs> but like, he always had that, right? Like, uh, Charlie's soul was never really broken through the movie. No. Like, he was all pretty much, he had integrity because in the beginning, he still didn't give anybody up. He was doing this nice thing for Frank. He wasn't backing out of it or anything like that. He was still the exact same way. In the beginning of the movie, then he wasn't the end of the movie. Yeah, and wait, did, did, his, did his dad die? Does he mention that? That it's why he's a stepdad or no? I thought it was he was just a dick. I don't remember him saying his dad died, but I could be wrong. I no, I don't. That's what I was questioning. Is like he just says, "Oh, I have a stepdad," but then he never really goes into like where his actual father is. You'd feel like there would be some more conflict there. Like, oh, my dad died, and now I have a stepdad, as opposed to just like, "Ah, oh, my stepdad's a dick." I don't know. It's just like again, it feels like there's other movies that take the same concept or a similar concept or similar characters and just execute it in a way that actually feels compelling and round by the end. But this movie just doesn't do that. Yeah. I will say. Not you know to have another positive about the movie. Thomas Newman's score pretty good. It is pretty good. It's, it's pretty, pretty good score. It's pretty nineties. It's pretty, pretty like kind of goes through the motions that you would expect it to. Well, like I, the I all it. the shots around the the Baird School. It's got that cool piano. Uh, I like yeah. It. I like the sound of it. Um, no, I like, I, I, I like I, Thomas Newman. Underrated composer. I mean, he he gets you know he gets credit, but like uh, 
I don't know. It, yeah. It's good. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. So let's just round this out and kind of bring it together and talk about like how this movie works as a, a Thanksgiving movie. And because I feel like because there's so many limited options of Thanksgiving movies, this one kind of gets brought up a lot purely because of like, you know, there's the timeline of it being said in that weekend and that um, and that scene halfway through. How do you uh, <clears throat> excuse me? I'm going to pose this question a little a little different than how we've been posing it in the past. Okay. <clears throat> how does this movie represent what you want or don't want out of a holiday movie? Well, I mean, it certainly goes for the idea of family. And I think in a way it's a little successful with the relationship between the two of them. Um, and I'd say maybe the Thanksgiving scene might be my favorite scene in the movie. Um, so, like, I think it hits home on the the Thanksgiving vibe for, for the most part. But at the end of the day, I don't know. It just didn't really fully flesh out the characters. It didn't go all the way in terms of good writing towards the end of the movie in my opinion um yeah i mean i don't know what i really look for in a thanksgiving film since it's such an unexplored genre compared to the other two uh, the other two holidays that are part of this trilogy for you um but like you know they went for it and i think it's as it's got the right themes for a thanksgiving film this idea of family and family where you least expect it because i think you know there's this notion of family doesn't have to be blood related people family can be close friends you know, other companions. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. I just think, you know, they could have done a better job. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that idea, uh, the movie in and of itself has a lot of strong ideas, like <clears throat> in terms of character arcs and messages, but none of them, <clears throat> excuse me, none of them are fully fleshed out and fully realized, I think. Um, so the idea that Family can be, you know, anywhere and um, these small experiences that you only have for, you know, these few of this small limited time frame can alter your life. That's true. I like that idea. Um, I think what I'm really looking for or wanted from this movie or from just really any holiday movies, I love the vibe or the <clears throat> the holiday to really encapsulate the movie. Christmas does that really well. Halloween does that really well. I mean, obviously, like I said, there's limited for Thanksgiving movies. Yeah, it's like there's not a lot to build up to because, again, <laughs> Halloween and Christmas have all the panache around them, the yeah. costumes, the decorations. Thanksgiving doesn't have that. So it kind of it just suffers in that way that it's not as uh, flashy of a holiday. So mm. it's hard to, like, build an entire movie around Thanksgiving specifically. Like, again, like I, I'd say probably my favorite scene in the movie does revolve around the Thanksgiving dinner table so ultimately it, it certainly hits mm. in that regard that it is a Thanksgiving movie I guess um, it's because it also is like it, the main focus of it are just it's it ultimately it is a character movie sure and that is one thing that I mean Thanksgiving is just centered around people and you know when you get together with these uh, with your family members even ones that you haven't seen for so long or you know what have you um you really kind of get a better sense of who they are as a person because mm-hmm. you're so it's a, such a close and intimate setting in that in that way and yeah. that there's not really a whole lot of other distractions around it sure. um so i think that that's another thing this movie like you know kind of does in some ways that it is just focused let's just focus on these characters even if the story is kind of like uh, uh, kind of all up all out of whack it doesn't try and be like this great epic or this like um, like a big grandiose story right. in that way. It just it, it's more so just let's focus on the characters and but I I kind of wish they had a more strict story structure because like I said the it's two stories crammed into one another. That yeah, and just that's don't why it's got to be two and a half hours because to tell both these stories. <clears throat> but again, they they really could have shaved off twenty minutes literally just from shaving off some of the Pacino going on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts? Or? Uh, I just w- want to say one last quote where he's like, there's no mistakes in the tango. <laughs> <laughs> None? No mistakes? Okay, yep. if you say so. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Josh. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Always a pleasure to have Matt on the show. If you want more Frankly, I Love Movies content, you can go follow us on social media, on Facebook at Frankly, I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram at JoshVelJosh21 for all new and exciting updates on what's going on in my life. 
Frankly, I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Productions podcast network where you can listen to other podcasts such as Ravnica Avengers, our real play D&D podcast. We're actually running a one-shot Halloween-themed D&D adventure entitled Arcade Year One. You'll hear familiar voices on there such as Sullivan Harris, Aaron Page, Austin Burchard, Joanna Lagurfo, and myself. It's three hours of non-stop fun. Definitely check that out. You could also go listen to our Attack on Titan recap podcast called Tea Time with Titans. New episodes of that come out every single Wednesday. You listen to Brian Taborny, Ben Mannix, and Sullivan Harris talk all about one of the greatest anime of all time. It's a really great time. You definitely want to check it out. And finally, come back in two weeks. My old friend Tyler Harner finally gets on the show to talk about Ang Lee's 1997 family-led drama, The Ice Storm. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies.